0: Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the latest The Greatest Nick's Nonfiction here with your host Nick Muniz. (laughs) Today on the show, we have got Linda Godfrey's I Know What I Saw. (laughs) Which came first, the legend or the beast? Linda has reached her own conclusions after 20 years of chasing monsters. That sounds like a Looney Tunes hobby. The question is pretty philosophical. Which came first, the legend or the beast? Suck. The creatures of ancient mythology, folklore, and more contemporary urban legends have long captured the popular imagination. We're talking Slenderman today. While most people in America today relegate monsters to just that, our imaginations, we continue to be fascinated by the unknown. Linda Godfrey is one of the country's leading authorities on modern-day monsters and has interviewed countless eyewitnesses to strange phenomena. Monsters have evolved, taking on both new and familiar forms over time and across cultures. In this well-researched book, Godfrey explores uncanny encounters with werewolves, goatmen, Bigfoot, and more. And his name is John Cena! You can't see him! He's hiding in the woods, he's gonna tap you out. (laughs) Dude, this is such a good question, which came first, the legend or the story? We're going Kantian today. Linda doesn't think it's either or. Maybe these motherfuckers are on the electromagnetic spectrum. Phasing in and out of earth, whatever. Linda, she's going to take us to a metaphysical municipality. Thousands of years, people have been having the same hallucinations. What's going on? Happy Halloween. What do you call a Sasquatch who loves working with clay? A Harry Potter. Joe Biden. They say Mothman is half man, half insect. Head of a man. Balls of a moth. I sold my cabin in the woods to Bigfoot. He sold it for cryptid currency. <laughs> Nickas, we'll be right back. About the author. <coughs> hey, Quandale Dingo here. Linda Godfrey. Tiny blurb on Amazon. For almost a quarter of a century, ever since breaking the original story of the Beast of Bray Road, a small town in Wisconsin, she's been chasing the elusive, upright canine called werewolves. It's 2023, Amazon. We call them dogmen nowadays. 1800s, they were called werewolves. People from North and South America and even Europe and Australia have contacted Linda with reports of their encounters. Sometimes their stories describe Bigfoot, giant birds, water monsters. And his name is John Cena! He's gonna hit you with the STFU. The fact that people keep seeing these things is what drives her to keep researching, investigating, speculating, and writing. What do you call a werewolf who doesn't know they're a werewolf? An unaware wolf. What do you call a werewolf in plain sight? A werewolf? What do you call a werewolf's favorite vegetable? Arugula. We'll be right back. Chapter one, I know what I saw. Linda Godfrey, Modern Legends. So she's going to classify what's a legend, what's an urban myth. The study of folklore is a scholarly discipline equal to any other command in its own field of inquiry. Chasing monsters? She considers herself a researcher. The good news is there will be no pop quiz here. I'm strictly an amateur folklorist myself, but like any subject pinned down and formalized by academia, folklore has its own accepted lingo. Luckily, the shortlist will do for our purposes. But the term folklore, legends, myths are not as interchangeable and causal users might think. And merely pasting these correct labels on the story type creating encounters won't prove the true nature of a cryptid. She's very level-headed. She's starting with legends. Modern ones are like lake snakes. Legends are stories from the past, ranging from far ancient times to mere decades or less. The stories are told as if based upon the experience of actual, unknown persons or groups. They may contain an element of the supernatural, such as the Loch Ness-type situation that popped up in 1892 in Lake Geneva, Wisconsin, and lasted a full decade. This was her beat, Wisconsin, where she was from. Dude, they find a cryptid every week over there. The resort town near the Wisconsin-Illinois border became famous for modern-day sightings of a huge lake serpent spotted by an area resident of Taurus in a city spring-fed Geneva Lake, one of the state's deepest bodies of water. Here's a fun fact I learned recently. Eels? Nobody's ever seen them reproduce. They refuse to reproduce in captivity. But... At one period of the e- the year, all of the eels swim to the Bermuda Triangle, and that's where it's suspected all the babies come from. What a creepy fucking place. So yeah, legend is like the Loch Ness Monster. An article in the Milwaukee Sentinel reported one sighting by no fewer than six people in September 1902. The mystery creature disappeared soon after that date, fading with the tourist season, her origin and escape route still unknown. 1902. That's a pull. But I guess those people had more to lose by talking about they would have been ostracized. You're a witch. Jenny wasn't the first outsized gigantic creature believed to swim in Lake Geneva. She was preceded by ancient legends of other lake monsters taken as matter of course by the town's former residents, the Potawami. Incidentally, the Potawatomi, leader at the time, was known as Chief Bigfoot. This name had nothing to do with the large, hairy, human-like creature now popularly called Bigfoot. The term that didn't come until the 60s. But he is the reason why near the Wisconsin-Illinois border you'll find a small community named Bigfoot. Bigfoot High School, a city west of Walworth. Bigfoot Archery Club and other places, things in honor to intender the chieftain. (laughs) I'm dyslexic. So yeah, even the Indians that used to be in Lake Geneva, they had their own serpent legend. What the hell's going on? So who was here first? Bigfoot's band, the turn-of-the-century Taurus, or more ancient native inhabitants of Geneva shores? If only we knew how long the sightings have been occurring. We might be able to associate the correct ancient lake monster legend with the modern Jenny. She introduces some more modern legends. The Kandahar Giant. Crybaby Bridge. Like every uh, town in Colorado, they got Bigfoot trading post. Every town in the East has a story of a haunted bridge. And there's a baby crying under it at night. Urban legends are stories of current or recent happenings and often follow themes of horror and supernatural. Urban legends distinguish themselves in a couple of important ways. They often skip from community to community with only names and minor details changing to suit each particular location. The other main hallmark of urban legends is that they are contemporary events that continue to change the aid with internet, evolving more rapidly. She goes on, My personal Snopes favorite dates from 2016 is entitled, U.S. Forces Killed a Giant in Kandahar. This story was rated false. The site explained in the summer of 2016 several personalities and websites dedicated to discussing supernatural myths, conspiracy theories began claiming that an American Special Forces soldier serving in Kandahar, Afghanistan, was killed in 2002 by an 1,100-pound, blade-wielding, 12-foot-tall giant from Old Testament times before the giant himself was taken down by the military. This guy has been on podcasts. Shoot it in the face! A Department of Defense spokesman told us they have no record of such incident. (laughs) I don't know what to believe. That could very easily be a spook they hired to tell a story about a giant. Folk tales and folklore are somewhat similar to historical legend in their roots that lie in the past. They might include heroic characters that elude or defeat whatever creature in danger threatens the populace of their day. But although they often teach a lesson, the stories are easily recognized as fiction. So urban legends aren't as good as folklore urban legend is like Paul Bunyan or Babe the Giant Blue Ox so folktale is level one that's what you teach a kid work hard like Paul Bunyan and then level two these urban tales are to scare kids and then myths she's, she's gone are over thousands of years there might be something there I remember in middle school we used to say that in the basement there was like a 500 year old janitor that you couldn't disturb Scare the 6th graders. (laughs) Linda, she adds a new level of lore. We have this thanks to the internet. Creepypasta. Jonesy goes into the haunted house. Creepypasta. So Slenderman. Zoomers are obsessed with it. It's the new Bigfoot. He's like a 10 foot tall dangly killer in the woods. There's this Slenderman documentary. It's probably just kids convincing themselves into thinking they saw him. I'm not here to argue what people saw. That's the name of the book. But you got to ask the thesis. What came first, the legend of Slenderman? Or was there actually a beast hanging out there in the woods? <laughs> and you can apply the same logic to Bigfoot. And the basic people will go, Well, actually, Gigantopithecus was an ape that was never classified. So how come a fucking hunter hasn't caught one? The answer could be that legend comes first and then the beast materializes through the collective subconscious. I don't know, I'm just getting my metaphysics on. But how come the news is always talking about World War Three? World War Three? It ain't here. It ain't happening. I think sometimes things exist in the metaconscious before they're there. So it was May 2014. This little girl was obsessed with Slenderman. In the woods of Wakosha, Wisconsin, Slenderman invited her into his house in in the forest. He had a mansion. (laughs) Little girl go gets her friend. Jenny, Jenny, Slenderman invited me to his mansion. And so apparently they both see Slenderman in front of the house and he's like, Jenny, you got to kill your friend. That's the only way you're allowed in the mansion. I'm getting the shivers. Literally, my hair is standing up. That's just egregore energy, bro. If you talk about demons, they become real. And a classic theme of demons is you have to sacrifice someone that you love. So, Slenderman, it's just the new demon. Kids, stay out of the woods. Or don't entertain internet lore when you're out there. Creepypasta, it stays on the internet. Another one. Kanye West, he outright says Hollywood made him sacrifice his mom. I don't remember if it's fucking Davochka, Depechma, one of those little bands. The dude said he killed his girlfriend. Chris Martin, Simon Pegg, Britain's biggest actors, and you know Coldplay? They sacrifice a lamb every year together. There's nothing there, though. Slenderman epitomizes a new, faster day In spreading of urban legends And yet, as the bible says There is nothing new under the sun Even a skinny, expressionless meme like Slendy As some bloggers now call him (laughs) Had to begin somewhere I believe parts of Slendy Have lurked in the literature, folklore And traditions of many cultures And that traces of these other earlier legends Might still be identified with eerie personas So if we keep telling Fucking fake Slenderman stories Him and Bigfoot are going to be teaming up in the woods together. The Slenderman stories end now. (laughs) Metaphysics, get to know it. Chapter 2, Dog Man. In December 2014, a former U.S. Marine spotted something very thin, with skin the color of gray asphalt, just as his car crested a hill near Carmel Road of Hillsboro, Ohio. Only in Ohio. The creature was walking or running across the road and came within 10 feet of the witness's vehicle. The witness estimated its height at 7 feet and said it had muscular legs with knees that appeared to be backwards. This is a common observation of people seeing a quadrupled walking upright because most quadrupeds walking on their toes or toe pads put the hock joint above the ground to create the illusion of walking backwards. A little technical with the anatomy there. We call them rakes, Linda. These, like, skinny gray shits that live in caves. No, 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 no. <laughs> it's pretty terrifying. She went into B.E.K.'s a little bit. Said to have originated in 1990 in two articles by albany Texas reporter Brian Bethel, they have achieved a full urban legend status according to Wikipedia. Black-Eyed Kids. 18 have been the subject of their own 2015 movie, Black-Eyed Children, Let Me In, and have covered the TV show Monsters and Mysteries in America. So I read that book, The Descent, apparently there's a movie, The Descent, and it's about rakes. About those creatures in the caves. So like this 2015 movie, Black Eyed Children, let me in. What if fucking Hollywood is manifesting this shit into the wilderness? (laughs) I've told the story, I don't like to repeat it. 1,300 feet in the air, Arapaho Peak, I see an unsupervised kid. No shoes on, they got a hoodie on. I didn't get close enough to see their face. Like, I waited to see if they had a parent there. She walked back into the rock shelter. Did he? I'm out. Okay, wear your shoes, kid. That was when I was first researching it, so my guard was down, too. Anywho, in October 1972. High school students within driving distance of Wernersville, Pennsylvania, were excited about something far more exotic than the usual Halloween homecoming activities. Everyone southwest of Reading had whispered that a vicious dog woman and a feral half-canine, half-human creature lurked in the shadows of South Mountain. The buildings were razed by a controlled fire in 1967, but remnants such as a stone chapel and roadside walls remained. The creature, according to local legend, often appeared at one stone wall that contained a chamber furnished with unsettling embedded rock, a massive iron meat hook. The meat hook carried its own bloody legend, and the stone chamber where it hung was known as the meat locker. The story of the meat locker was grisly. No argument there. An unknown murderer had killed five people, so the legend went, the butchered their remains there, and packed them in the chamber that had once been used for cold food storage muffled by screams of victims, were supposed to emanate from the chambers on Dark Nights. Was any of this true? Not according to the reporter who investigated it of Reading Eagle. The story is pure bunk, said Euchre. Three brave high school seniors lived to tell the tale. Terry, Winehold, and friends I call A and B. Terry recalled one unpleasantly memorable evening in October of 1972. When they set out at dusk to find the dog woman. it wasn't their first attempt. After A had first heard of the creature from two other students of their school bus, Terry and B had driven to the area several times, no success. They decided their chances might be better in the dark, when strange creatures seemed to liken their room. The trio hopped in A's green Chevy pickup, B riding shotgun, Terry stuck in the middle, excited at the prospect of seeing the beast with their own eyes. When they rolled past the open chamber, they heard a horrific sound. Terry described as a simultaneous a deep roar and a fierce growl. B excitedly told Terry and A that there was a large fur-covered creature standing on its hind legs, screaming at them from the top of the stonework. Before they could react, the creature hopped off the wall and dropped heavily to the pavement while continuing to emit ear-splattering screeches. B screams for A to hit the gas, and the truck lurched forward off the narrow road. The creature, however, followed close in the rear bumper and kept pace for several hundred feet, still shredding the air with its vocalizations. Despite the level of the fright, the boys were feeling once the creature stopped chasing them and decided they wanted to take one more passing and a better look. Get out! b and terry adamantly opposed this idea but a was driving so he turned the truck around and approached the meat locker door once again and was almost hysterical terry was holding a large flashlight plugged into the cigarette lighter in the dash despite his fear he aimed it out his window perhaps as much as hope scaring the creature as seeing it they could tell it was still there by the growling sound terry and b yelled once again for him to step on the gas and he did at this point the flashlight fell from B's hands but remained plugged into the dash The flashlight was banging against the side of the truck as we drove away. Remember, Terry. Hmm. It's an aggressive dog, woman. It wasn't violent, though. It was kind of just like chasing the kids off of her land. You gotta watch the movie The Mothman Prophecies. It's got Richard Gere in it. Some A-list action. The movie drops truth. Like, maybe these entities are a warning sign of particular areas. Maybe they all just hallucinated Dogman together, but it was protecting them from going into the death cave. That's the Mothman movie. It was a case in West Virginia in the 90s. All these people were hallucinating Mothman. And then the bridge collapsed a week later. So it's like these things premonate big events. But there's many other sides of local interactions with Dogwoman, Terry said. Many of the stories were much older than 1972. I've told the story to no more than three to four people, said Terry. Everything I told you was the truth, exactly as it happened. So I'm saying, you saw what you saw. I'm not going to take the story away from the kid. But the only way we could bring this back into 3D fucking reality is that they hallucinated it. Or that this bitch is electromagnetic and it could phase in and out. <laughs> That's just trying to make it physical. <laughs> Everything started, legend says, when two fur trappers had a row over a woman named Molly, who was officially engaged to one of the trappers, John Dent, when Dent's trapping partner, Will Marlowe and Marley... So there's a love triangle, and this Molly got cheated on, and the, both of the guys winded up bastardizing the children. So she fucking, like, ate the kid to stay alive, and then she turned into the dog woman. So that was the scary story to keep kids out of the woods in the 1900s. And it's dripping over into today as Dogman. Does this mean the creature that jumped off the meat hook chamber and chased Terry A and B was merely a phantom apparition of an old folk tale? Not at all. We still don't know what it was. Its description and behavior was very consistent with what other people have been seeing along American highways and byways since the 1930s. And it could be a member of that unknown upright canid family. It could also have been a feral mutt, a defensive farm dog that loved to chase trucks. So remember how Linda started the book saying that she was a researcher? That's the difference between researchers and experts. Experts have to say, and that's why we know. We know nothing exists that's not real. And researchers all the time are going, I don't fucking know, but this is best evidence. Check out the Richard Gere movie. They say in that one, there's like this old wise professor character, because you're not meant to have proof. You got two options: you could either live your life, or you could look for evidence. <laughs> That's the facts. Chapter three: Made in the Shade. Some topics work best when you jump ahead first, like a kid into the deep end of a swimming pool. Let them splash. So we'll take a deep breath and plunge into a letter received from an early 2017 James W. Powell from Canton, Ohio, who encountered what looked to him like an unknown canine family of skilled military instructionals. What the fuck? (laughs) So he saw, like, a wolf unit of Navy SEALs, yo. (laughs) Made in the Shade is the name of the chapter. This one got into, like, human-animal hybrids. This event was experienced on a particularly bleak late March afternoon in 2006, which I remember as a gloomy, cloudy, cold, damp, and very depressing. Typical for that time of the year. Even though it was uh, relatively early in the afternoon, 2 or 3 p.m., there was no one else using the park track that afternoon due to the foul weather. I was on the west side of the track running southward when I noticed something coming toward me in the distance, something low to the ground as opposed to standing upright in the likeness of a person. As it drew near, I determined that it was a very large dog. At this point, I became concerned because dogs and runners are not a good mix. Now, closely, perhaps 100 or 50 meters away, I could see that it was not a dog, but two, each about the size of a typical German Shepherd. I stopped and watched as these two animal approaches. They were not acting like dogs as they were supposed to. I know dogs very well. My wife and I breed dogs. By this time, I was no longer concerned about being bitten. These things were totally oblivious to my presence. They were walking by on their hind legs. No! I turned and watched them canter past me at the distance six feet or so and proceed northward along the track. I have not seen them again. I go to that park every day, weather permitting. I always look for them. I haven't seen anything remotely resembling those two dogs in the years following that dreary March afternoon. God damn. Hey I thought this park was dogs on leash only (laughs) That's so creepy What would you do if two dogs walked past you on their hind legs And they don't even acknowledge you (laughs) We've done that like clone book on the show We were able to clone sheep in the 60s And you know by now Mad scientists They're splicing and dicing epigenetics You could take this one to the bank Italian neurosurgeon Sergio Canavero. December of 2017, he went to China, the only country that approved this type of surgery. In 2017, Sergio completed the first successful head transplant. Head transplant. You know, Jeff Bezos is on like his fifth body. Elon Musk lost 100 pounds and grew his hair back. He always wears turtlenecks. We need to see if his head is stitched on. Head transplants, 2017. Made in the shade. Dude, I would give a a toe to know what these motherfuckers could do. (laughs) Area 51, she was talking about. The original home of underground testing. That's where I recovered the Rick and Morty portal gun. I was able to clap my own cheeks from behind with it. What else did I get at Area 51? <laughs> I found Ben Ten's watch. I found a shopping cart with four working wheels. Full diamond armor. GTA 6. All of it at the bottom of Area 51. Roswell. She talked to this kid, Tyler. He told of strange creatures who said to live in the area of pecan orchards just to the west of Roswell. Crazy stuff goes on there, wrote Tyler. Typically, it is used as a place for teens to take LSD or have unprotected sex. It is also a home to a man who was born with a goat horn who lives in the trees to protect the pecans from trespassing thieves. The goat man has been seen for decades. Like Lelorna, the weeping woman who you can hear sleeping at the night of Roswell, this goat man has a legacy. Tyler said a friend of his acclaimed to have seen the horned man lurking in the trees as he drove past the orchard one night. Tyler added that he had also visited the place at night and saw hoof-shaped prints in the ground. According to the legends, the goat man serves not only as a guardian to the pecans which he eats, but to the orchard workers who keeps his tasty treats coming. The Goat Man of Roswell. Love it. Have you heard of the deer people, like deer woman or deer man? I have a strange encounter to relate to you. I live in Rapid City, South Dakota, and am an enrolled member of the Olalga Sioux Tribe, and have often traveled to the reservation. This happened three years ago when I was up late at night. I was traveling with a former acquaintance. We were about 15 miles from the town of Hermosa. It was pitch black, really dark that night. I was asleep in the passenger seat when traveling partner woke up and said we had just passed a nice-looking woman standing in the tall grass near the edge of the road. He was wondering if he, we should pick her up. I've heard stories from my late mother about picking up hitchhikers late near the reservation. She told me of shapeshifters and other less savory supernatural entities. goat dog men, deer people. Bro, this is some Wendigo action. You got a shapeshifter as a woman. No, no, no. My girlfriend is a fed. (laughs) A couple minutes passed and he said... There she is. He was pointing to the side of the road. There was a female human figure standing there, but I could see her legs. I told him to keep driving, put some oomph in the gas pedal. We were nearing a part of Battle Creek when he said, There she is again! Except she had a slight twinge of fear in his voice. I looked and said she was standing on the pavement. She was wearing a dress-type piece of clothing, had small hooves where her feet should have been. She had a proper upper-body human, long dark hair, her eyes reflected white in the headlights. Pretty face, kind of like the Disney version of Pocahontas. Maybe 5'9", 120 pounds. Sizing this bitch up. Would you hook up with a girl with hoofed feet? (laughs) I didn't get a good look at her legs the first time, but the sighting a few miles later showed she definitely had deer legs. A tail. No! Mule deer color. This is furry territory. (laughs) He hit the gas and I looked behind us. There was vaguely deer-shaped figures running not far behind our Tahoe, and we were doing likely 80 miles per hour. Super deer. We got to home to Hermosa. I parked the truck. It was very unnerving. Really strange. I don't go near the reservation at night or even in the evening. It felt like I was seeing things for a while. Oh my god. (laughs) Whoa. <laughs> so like the old 1930s, the hitchhiker story. We definitely stole that from Native Americans. That story is sick. <laughs> you see her a couple miles further down the road and she looks more like a deer. Oh my God. So yeah. Animal-human hybrids. I don't know, if they could sew a head on somebody else, you know they got some, like, Franken-animal monkey. What was it? In 2016, joint China-U.S. scientific team released human-monkey hybrid embryo. That was 2016. Pigmen, the new masses. Moving on, Chapter 4, Hidden Little People. I'm always a little surprised at the term of elf sighting. Historically, elves, fairies, and magical little people are not hanging out around forest trails waiting to be spotted and then written up in reports for internet or books about strange creatures. Also, reports of elf-like or fairyish beings are rare compared to the thousands of meteor, bigfoot, and dogmen. And like all anecdotal evidence, the usefulness of elf reports depends greatly on the person making the report and upon the quality and amount of information offered. Still, I do receive an elf report now and then, and I enjoy them as a welcome change of pace from great hairy omnivores. There are always associations to be teased out, and thus certainly no lack of legendary about folk. We begin with the elf of Victoria, Canada. <laughs> this unusual report from a pleasant Canadian man was dated April 1st, 2017. Note that month and day, if you please. April Fool's Day. <laughs> That's a holiday, bro. Whoopie Cushions, Flarp loving the fools the sun was rising about 5:40 a.m give or take i was 37 at the time i was delivering newspapers near a wooded area around the local university of victoria bc there is a wooded area that surrounds the entire campus i was southwest of it facing north i was one block away from a parallel street where i was doing the paper route at the time in an emergency money his girlfriend broke her leg he's poor B said the street he stood on was higher elevation than the grounds around him, so he had a good view of a nearby street where an owl began to make a ruckus. He said the owl was really squawking and making quite a lot of noise. I could even hear it through my headphones. When I took them off, I could have sworn the bird got louder. I was curious what was going on, so I stopped delivering the block. I was going on quickly whispered to where I heard a noise. I had no idea what was going to happen next. When I arrived, the bird was no longer making sounds. In fact, it was so silent, I turned my head to the right, and this was my field of vision. I do not want to sound flaky, but I had been told how to encounter what I saw by someone deals of hidden occult creatures. I had been he's saying you got to like look at it from the side of your eyes. You can't look exactly at it. So this was an end result of hard work, I guess you could say. And bro, you could see all of the screen memories we learned in the owl book. The owl was telling him, hey, yo, look over here. But I don't fucking know anything. As my eyes became adjusted to the dark forest, I no longer felt alone. In fact, I felt I was looking into the trees of the earth. It felt completely silent, and it felt like I was in a big vacuum. Readers may recall this same phenomenon of early silence as the Oz Several creatures had stepped towards me all at once. But one of them, the one in the center, stood out the most he described the characteristics he had documented in a drawing. Notice how his one leg is bigger than the other. That's because he was stepping into my world. I wonder if I was doing that to him. He was about four feet tall. The others were really small and fat. Some of them were even bent sideways upside down. They were all staring at me, but the one in the center felt like he asked me a question. What are my intentions? I could still see the forest behind him. Half of it really looked like two worlds overlapping. Both worlds look transparent. Bro, it's so trippy it's going to hurt your brain. This is Alice in Wonderland territory. He's like stepping into their realm and the elf is getting half big. Fucking crazy. At this point I was really uncomfortable so I decided that the encounter had to stop. So you think this kid's on mushrooms? He said he was in his paper route. I threw it out that I was not going with them. I stepped backwards. The vacuum sound vanished, and so did they. I raced home, drew the picture. I have no idea what they were, but judging by the conical hats and pointy ears, they were earth creatures, possibly elves, gnomes, sprites. They had an off-white glow around them. Their eyes were like strobe lights pulsing. They flashed the entire color spectrum. This was like a hypno-toad, bro. Even colors I had never seen before, possibly infrared, ultraviolet. You could call it summoning because I did actively seek them out. I was inviting them through intention. I knew what my friends told me, that it wouldn't be a hostile situation to be cautious. Yeah, I'm saying this guy was a seeker. He was waiting his whole life to see the fucking things. And so maybe from that other book, owls actually are aliens. So the owls used the alien technology on him to make him see gnomes and interface (laughs) I don't know man, if you take five grams of mushrooms you might go see Ernie Keebler in the woods there's this place in Colorado Springs called the Midget House it's four stories tall it makes no sense, like a normal human couldn't fit in it (laughs) the Midget House I have felt them attempt to contact me again. Yes, usually at sunset, I feel a bit uneasy. I'm not out in the early morning anymore, but I do feel like there's a link available if I was wanting to pursue it. I'm pretty good at opening and closing my reception to it, like a big steel door that I can open. Bro, don't take it from me. Like all of Stephen King's book, Another Motif. It's about closing and opening the doors of your mind, and you can definitely contact bullshit. According to a 2006 paper on Native American Mythology regarding little people and giants, as many as 85% of over 300 tribes sample claimed ancient traditions considering little people. 85% of tribes. You've probably heard of like Chupacabra. It's a tiny chicken eating machine. Hey yo, that thing eat more chicken than a black family of papa. There's another Mexican mini monster, it's called El Duende. El Duende is generally described as a darkly mischievous entity that requires food offerings from the, those who cross its paths near its lair. Its appearance and habits may also vary from place to place, so it's like a homeless person. Give me food! You fucking asshole! One widespread version describes a small wan with a battered red hat, backward-facing feet and no thumbs. How come hobos are always missing fingers? Those who meet up with this odd creature are advised to hide their thumbs, or the duende might bite them off of their hands. <laughs> Give me a dollar! The red hatted duende seems more like a fantasy modern era folk story than a reportable cryptid i would declare the duende a dead end in the search for small mystery folks if not for another variation of a similar creature that followed his mark local legend dates back to pre-columbian times that indicates something native to the area although versions of the legend blended with european tales of dwarves and elves both bowels say another writer the ohukan Chaneka Those who live in dangerous places were magical and hostile spirit-like beings that could cause illness and misfortune to anyone who wandered into their realm. So I'm making this joke about hobos. Definitely give them a dollar, but don't stay there and have a beer with them. You could be dragged into a spirit realm by these fucks. Creatures impressed the eyewitnesses so strongly that afterward neither man felt safe walking their favorite wooded path alone anymore. So I'm saying, if you're going to seek this shit out, just know that you might lose your favorite hiking trail. That kid who wanted to talk to gnomes all the time, he lost his paper job. The modern westernized world generally s- sees elf-like creatures as cute, benign creatures suitable for exploration. I'm saying, these things are hypnotists. Stop. <laughs> And think about how they put it into our culture, how they're so friendly. The North Pole, these human little elves, they work for Santa. Santa. Satan. Santa's watching what you do right and wrong. Jesus forgives everybody. If you actually follow the ancient folklore, Santa's a bad guy and elves are evil. But diminutive humanoids have also been widely and historically considered tricksters. Literally, he's called Saint Nick. Nick is the name of the devil. (laughs) Thanks, Mom. I like the name, but you gotta learn the folklore. (laughs) Some spirit beings are more likely to be naughty than nice to those who irritate them. And people should strive to be nice to all. I'm gay. Chapter 5, I Saw Bigfoot. Final chapter, Linda is putting her story out there. Yes, I have seen what I could not describe as anything but the oversized furry humanoid most people would describe as Bigfoot. I haven't said much publicly about my own encounters with the enigmatic creature, but I've come to feel that it would be disingenuous of me to write about strange creatures without admitting my own experience. And again, yes, I said sightings, plural. I have seen something more than once that fits no other zoological template. These surprising glimpses occurred uh, fairly close vantage points as 30 yards These incidents all took place while I was totally awake in the daytime, out in the open, no tricks or shadows or lights to blame. Each encounter shook my once familiar world anew. Seeing might be believing, but it isn't necessarily comprehending. There's so much we don't know. As I seek to understand creatures whose existence I once thought impossible, my inner journalistic constantly whispers, What are they? Why did I see them? How do I respond to this knowledge? As I'm saying, you're never going to have definitive proof. If you will really like Bigfoot, start with Dr. Meldrum. He's a Stanford University professor. For some reason, they let him talk about it. Linda was saying, Maryland has the most Bigfoot reports per square mile, which you wouldn't expect. <laughs> what do you got? Fucking Jabberwockies, Snallygasters, Tobbyknockers over there. The egg people, bunny men. Maryland. Dude, I hooked up with a Hooters waitress in Elkland, Maryland. <laughs> Okie finokie. <laughs> There's some cryptids in Maryland. <laughs> that pussy haunted. Corinne Madeira and another... In- <laughs> Sorry. Another long-time investigative colleague, Kimberly Papanoy. Rock clicking is a Bigfoot behavior often described in stories and reports while there was no clicking that time. Something did toss a crab apple up a hillside to land at our feet. We had all stopped to observe downhill slope. There was no crab apple trees on the upward slope behind us. I still have the solid little missile in my kitchen freezer. She kept the apple. (laughs) Weeks later, a guy named Rick reported rocks being thrown up a slope at him in the same place. November, the park receives another report. It was bow season and I was sitting on the ground in a ridge when I smelled something foul, sulfuric almost. Something began circling me, 20 feet away, remaining hidden behind trees. It was making grunting noises while throwing sticks and small rocks in my direction. I couldn't get a good look, but I got the impression that it was covered in dark fur and quite small. Occasionally it would stop moving several minutes at a time before continuing to circle me. This went on for 20 minutes before it wandered off. All I could do was remain as still and quiet as possible during an encounter. I was a bit shaken. It could be just as likely there's a feral guy living on that hill messing with people. This next story comes from Kettle Moraine, Wisconsin. I never really knew much of Bigfoot sorts of creatures in the region, but I sure do recall an incident that I had back in, if I could recall correctly, late summer early fall 1999. I loved stopping by the Olsen Log home site located on Duffin Road about a mile south of Bluff Road. On this one particular evening, I decided to take my Beagle and my brother's Doberman Pinscher out for a walk towards the Olsen home. I let them run freely off leash, I decided to take them for a walk down the horse trail and pass behind the grounds. It was a wide sort of mowed dog. What if it was the Doberman Pinscher that walked by the other guy before? Joking. We walked north on the trail. As we walked along, we came to a fence where the woods began. We could hear the squirrels and birds chirping away. There was no breeze at all. As we walked, I noticed that everything suddenly went quiet. Nothing. It was dead silent. No sounds. No bugs. No animals. I knew something wasn't right, but I kept on walking, paying closer attention to my surroundings. The trail started to curve to the right in a long, sweeping curve. Before we rounded the whole bend, I noticed that the two dogs didn't want to go any further. I was leery, but tried to get them to continue. They would take a few steps forward, then stop and wouldn't go any further. I kept my eyes open. As we approached the trail turnoff at the log home, I witnessed a very strange event. I was looking east down the trail towards the pioneer kiln ruins that are about three quarters of a mile away, where this trail meets the Ice Age Trail about 500 feet to the east. Mind you, there was no wind at all. The top section of the tree was swaying as if it were in a 50 mile per hour wind. It was only in one direction motion. I was like WTF. It was a big tree. I never saw it making a violent thrash. My dog started walking away swiftly toward my truck. Never run. Always walk. Even if it's a fast walk. I'm sure it knew we were there. As I think back now, I still can't help but shake my head in disbelief. I still see it in my mind as if it were yesterday. And it was 17 years ago. Whoa. So this could be a moose, you know, rutting against a tree or something. The thing that sticks with you is, like she said, how long it sticks with you. She tries to kind of bring it back to the original question. Is it myth or is it material? Bigfoot's modern status as Campfire tale star... Coupled with ever-mushrooming numbers of sightings, has increased to general speculation that there must be some supernatural species of human-like ape as yet unconfirmed by science. And if Bigfoot is as many insist a procreating flesh and blood creature, we may then assume from the increasing sightings that either its population is increasing, or it's spreading into more populated area, or the idea of it is getting bigger. Some have proposed that Bigfoot is a manifestation of spirit or unknown electromagnetic energies, and that it might interact with human consciousness to achieve its form. Neither of these titles, however, is saying that creatures literally came to life from spirit energy embodiments. In the Monster Hunt's final endgame, the stories, the scriptures, the legends themselves might be real treasures hunted by every cultural hero. These tales might be subtly disguised handbooks for survival in what John Dr. Napier and other renowned researchers have called a Goblin Universe. Until science or major events show us otherwise, it's probably not a bad way to go. Holy shit, that's deep. Goblin Universe. Dark reality, bro, that's gonna be my late night show. (laughs) Let the Bigfoots be, and the sleeping dogmen lie. (laughs) I Know What I Saw by Linda Godfrey. Banger! Get signed up on the Patreon. We're definitely doing more cryptozoology this month. Go a little bit deeper. The price of a dollar. That is no doubt changing 2024. Thank you guys. Have a happy spooky month. We'll keep in the theme. Harry shit on Instagram. Nick Muniz signing off.